May I encourage you to uh, continue to think on this? Because we have just barely scratched the surface. But I wanted us to make sure that we started with a biblical framework that we would be able to operate on. Um, there are so many passages. And I, uh, I certainly would exhort you to build on this very, very simple list that we just started today. If you want to continue to be effective in your ministry to people who are suffering loss, grief, uh, continue to pay attention in a very, very practical way to what the Word of God says. Now, in this next, um, this next session, uh, we're going to take a look at the ABCs of grief and loss. And so we're going to get uh, a little more practical in this uh, session. And uh, uh, just for Pastor Adam's benefit, we're going to keep him busy because we're going we're to click for every single uh, letter of the alphabet as we go through. And that's our goal. We're going to work our way through the alphabet and see if we can uh, begin to wrap our arms around some of the practicalities uh, of this experience of... Uh, of grief and loss. And I think, uh, again, whether we are looking at it as something that we anticipate that we're going to be ministering to people in this way, or if we're looking at it from the present tense that we are going through something personally right now where we are experiencing grief and loss, or if we have that look in the rearview mirror of our lives and we're looking back at some of the things that God has taken us through. Uh, all of those have great relevance uh, to us, and you, we're simply going to move through the alphabet and make sure we understand some of the fundamentals of what uh, uh, grief and loss mean for individuals who are going through it. So again, uh, my invitation is feel free to uh, jump in and to add uh, to whatever is pertinent to some of the comments that I'll make. So let's jump right in and start with the letter A. And uh, the, my first key word is alone. Um, alone. Um, many times we feel alone, and uh, sometimes we are alone. Uh, grief often enters a person's life uh, uninvited. Uh, grief comes... Uh, not by choice. Loss does not come usually by choice. It is usually something that is thrust upon us. And our perspective on that is because we're egocentric, because we're focusing on our own life, we tend to feel like I'm the only one who's going through this. And so other people aren't going to understand. And that causes us to feel alone. Now, I want to say on the flip side of that, that sometimes when we are in the midst of grief, we also want or need to be alone. Because sometimes being alone is an important part of the healing process. We need to have time alone. We need to have time to process. We need to have time to think. 
But it's in this process that we have to learn the balance between when is it healthy to be alone or when is it an escape mechanism uh, to be alone. Uh, Our souls, in a lot of these moments of being alone, feel like we have been forsaken. And when we feel that way, uh, we are lost um, in our bearings. So we, we, we kind of aren't sure what direction we're headed. And so consequently, we're confused. Now, I want to just throw out an idea to you. And I realize, I, I, because I can't fully develop this, but I want you to think about it for a moment. When Jesus was crucified, you will all remember that there were seven sayings from the cross, okay? The last words, as we refer to them, from the cross. Of those seven sayings, three of them were prayers. Father, what was the very first one? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The last one was, Father, into thy hand, finish it, I commit or commend my spirit. But the fourth prayer from the cross, Jesus changes from calling on his Father, which, as we probably already know, is the same word that could be interpreted, Daddy. He doesn't call on Daddy, Father God. He quotes from Psalm 22, verses 1 to 3, and he says, Father, or excuse me, he says, My God, my God, quoting from Psalm 22, into your hands... Excuse me, I'm, mis- I'm quoting the last one. He says, my God, my God, the fourth one was, why have you forsaken me? All right, so there were three prayers. The first prayer and the last prayer, he calls God Father. But in the middle one, he quotes Psalm 22, and he focuses on being forsaken. Now, if you were to take the time, and you can do that on your own time today, If you were to go back and look at that in the context, that's when the earth went dark, darkness throughout the land. That's when the earthquake occurred. And I want to suggest to you that in Jesus' humanity, for the very first time in the history of eternity, the Godhead was not united. But don't ask me to explain that theologically. That's why Pastor Dave and Pastor Adam are here, to clean up my messes. Let me ask you another question. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, the place of pressing, of crushing, and he asks, he begs three times, God the Father, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he prays again, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
What was Jesus concerned about? Now, many people say, well, he knew he was facing the cross. Well, if you study Roman crucifixions, this crucifixion, which took place within the span of six hours on that Friday, was very brief by comparison to what most Roman crucifixions were. Jesus knew what kind of physical pain he would endure. Then why was he pleading with the Father? If there was any other way for this to be accomplished, let's do it. Let's go with plan B. Now, here's my thought that I want to leave you with. Is it possible that when Jesus prayed in the garden, that he was focused on the reality, knowing that he would be fulfilling Psalm 22, that he would know that for the very first time in his humanity, still fully God, that for three hours hanging on that cross, he would be alone. You've got to understand what the word forsaken means. Totally left alone. Why were there two goats on the Day of Atonement? One was slaughtered. One died. One became the scapegoat and lived. One died. One lived. God's spirit, of course, never died. Jesus, the son of God, in his deity, he did not die on the cross. But he experienced, he experienced the total separation from God. Alone. Dying like any other person without Christ would. Total alienation. God. You see, to feel alone is a very, very powerful emotion. To feel that nobody else can possibly understand what I'm going through. And if there was ever a person who could epitomize that principle, it would be what Jesus, the Son of God, did when he paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. Give that some thought. Talk about that at lunch and decide if you still want me to do an afternoon session, okay? Alone, let's go to B. The letter B stands for Bible. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I think that's uh, pretty commonsensical. Uh, The only source document which is completely reliable to answer these questions is the Bible. We need the Bible. We need the Bible to understand why we're thinking the way we're thinking, why we're feeling what we feel. We need the Bible to help us in our decision-making process to determine what is the will of God. How should I respond? You see, the Word of God is what helps us to sort out the fact from the fantasy and the fiction and to make sense of our feelings. Many times I've redirected people to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You know those verses. All Scripture is inspired by God or God-breathed. 
And he goes on and he says, and it's profitable for four reasons. Remember what they are? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, right? Okay? Let me restate that or paraphrase it in a different way for you. The Word of God is valuable to us because it tells us what's right. That's doctrine. For reproof, that tells us what's not right. For correction, that tells us how to get right. For instruction in righteousness, that tells us how to stay right. Now, one of the tensions that a person in grief and suffering feels is that they know they should be driven back to the Word of God and their relationship with God. And yet some of that desire, because they feel like God has forsaken them, they feel alone. They don't always go back to the Bible for their counsel. May I strongly encourage you personally, and may I encourage you, I've included a a section in the packet, we're not going to spend any time on it, but but just a, a couple of things in there are some some passages of Scripture toward the end of your packet. Um, I think it's the fourth page in from the back, some selected Scripture passages which might be helpful for you to use in ministering to people in grief. But this is one of the reasons why, as a mature believer, we need to know and we need to use the Word of God in our ministries. So the Bible is letter B. The letter C is courage. Courage. Now, why, why is courage so important? Because courage um, is needed because this is a very intimidating interruption in a person's life. It is a parenthesis. It is a disturbance. It has brought life many times to a screeching halt. It has arrested our attention, and it's going to demand a change in direction. I refer to it as you are entering the zone of the unknown. And that's why you need courage. The zone of the unknown means I'm not really sure what to do. I'm not sure what's happening next. I'm not sure what my next step should be. I'm not sure if I can trust my emotions, my own decision-making, my own thinking process. And you'll find that a lot of these ABCs are going to intersect with other ABCs as we get to them. But we do have to own up to the reality that we may be terrified of the dark, the darkness of of walking in territory that we have never walked through before in our lives. I have never been in the military, but my middle son has. He did a tour in Iraq with the Marines. And he knows what minefields are like. And I kind of, in my mind, I liken this period to to walking through life that is filled with minefields because you're not quite sure what the next step might bring. And asking for help is a major obstacle because confusion reigns. In our lives. Now, could I just encourage you that this is the time 
when we have to help people remember, we are limited in what we understand. That's, that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And he told them, he reminded them that they were to walk by what? Faith, not by sight. So we're not taking blind steps. We're taking courageous steps, walking into unknown territory because life will be filled with new things as a result of the changes that are taking place in the realm of someone who's in the midst of grief, loss, suffering of any kind. The letter D. And again, feel free to jump in. I'm going to keep marching through these. The letter D stands for dreams. Dreams. Now, when direction is gone... And when the person who you were walking through life with is gone and you're not sure where to go, I want to suggest to you that vision for the future, a clear direction is also gone. That's what dreams are. Dreams are the things that we anticipate doing in the future. Dreams are things that we usually look forward to doing. And a lot of people don't realize that many times... Grief means the death of dreams. And that leaves us almost in a state of paralysis. And it also removes our excitement or our zest at times for life. And it just vanishes like a vapor. It's as if all the pieces go back in the box and you start all over again. You're back at ground zero. You're back at square one. You have no compass. You have no dreams to move toward, to think about, to look forward to for the future. And that is a very hard thing for someone who has worked their whole life. A dear uh, friend of ours, a colleague from the college, uh, His name was Bob Roper, Uh, had struggled with health issues for many, many years. And um, he retired, and uh, Lonnie, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but if I remember the timetable, it was was a matter of, of weeks or months within his retirement that he had a debilitating stroke. I mean, to the point that he was now pretty much bound by a wheelchair, for the most part, incommunicable. And so all of the dreams that this couple had of what they would be able to do in retirement came to a screeching halt. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Well, we've already talked about the next one. The letter E stands for emotions. Emotions, the power of emotions, wow. Um, the likeness that I used to compare it to is like the, a flood. We're well acquainted with that, flood waters uh, that overtake the boundaries 
they, they tear down the levees that were to bring security. They flood the banks of our mind. And when our emotions are out of control, we are extremely vulnerable. And I don't have to tell you how much damage a flood can do. It does irreparable damage many times. And for those who are suffering loss and grief, it, they're, they're standing alone. It leaves you in shock. You're wondering as you're standing there dazed and looking at your life, where do I go from here? I don't even know what to do next. Now, this is probably a very poor example, but let me just use it anyhow. Uh, from this most recent flood, uh, we thought that the sump pumps in our basement were working well. We went to bed. And the next morning, when Betsy opened the basement door, she gets up very early in the morning and goes to work very early. And she opened the basement door, and we had six feet of water in our basement. Six feet of water. So she came and she woke me up. As soon as she woke me up, I knew something was wrong. We, we went down and we looked at and we, we just... What what do we do? How, where do you even begin? I, you you just we we're dazed, and and that's that's how an individual feels, and, and that's that was something that ultimately is repairable. But, but when the emotions flood the heart and the soul and the mind of an individual, it places them at great risk. How do you rein them in? How do you bring emotions under control? And, and I, I, I want to suggest, and, and, I, and I think there's an imbalance here. I think for a lot of years, people tried to stay away from even talking about emotions because... Um, emotions were kind of put in the category of, you know, we need to just rely on the truth of Scripture and not feel anything, and and it was unsafe to feel anything. Well, the problem with that is that God created us with emotion, and God is a God of emotion. But we can't forget the fact with our good theology that emotions were affected at the fall. So just because we feel something doesn't mean that it's reliable. It doesn't mean that it's true. It doesn't mean that it's something that we should be feeling. And this is where the counsel of a trusted friend can be extremely valuable. Not to rebuke someone for what they're feeling, but to help them sort out what they're feeling. but never underestimate the power of emotions. I remember after Rayanne had been diagnosed with cancer, uh, she started radical chemo. She had a tumor removed in her colon. She started radical chemo, and I remember, again, it's one of those graphic memories. Um, She had a very full head of hair, very thick hair, 
and uh, was usually curly. And I remember waking up one morning, and we had a bathroom in our bedroom suite. And I could look from the bed where I had just woke him up, and she was standing. She was standing in the bathroom. And she was just staring into the mirror, and I could see the reflection. And she was holding her brush, and her brush was full of hair. And she started to take it out of the brush and just ran it through her head another time, and the brush was full of hair. So it was obvious that she was beginning, as a result of the chemo, to lose her hair. I was stunned at some of the things that people said to her. Uh, One woman tried to comfort her by saying, yes, I, I knew a woman who had chemo, and she was walking down the boardwalk at Ocean City, and she saw something fly by, and she realized that it was a clump of her hair that had just blown off. Someone actually said that to her. Another individual said to her, yeah, she said, I had a friend. Her hair started to fall out at night, and she woke up the next morning, and half of her hair was lying on her pillow. Now, those were the comforting words. Now, I'm going to come back to that in our last session this afternoon, which is going to be very interactive, because stupidity is at its peak with some of the things that people say out of their insensitivities to what people feel. Did that make sense to you? So I'm not saying let's put emotions on the shelf, and I'm not saying let's just let it all out and let's just feel whatever we're feeling. I'm saying there is a balance there where we must test what a person is feeling, not negating the importance of what they feel, but helping them to measure that against the truth of God's word. Let's move on to the letter F, which takes us closely to the next uh, step here of friends. And, and forgive me for being, um, no, I'm not, I'm not asking for forgiveness. I'm just being honest with you. I take that back. I'm just being honest with you and telling you that sometimes you think you have a lot of friends. You don't. A lot of them are just acquaintances. And you'll find out who your real friends are when you are traveling through the most difficult and the deepest waters of loss or grief or suffering. You'll find out who your real friends are. There were nearly a 1,000 people at my wife's funeral and viewing. Okay? Uh, I can count probably on one hand the number of individuals who actually walked through those following days with me. I had all kinds of promises. Oh, we'll be there for you. Just give us a call. Whatever we can do, just tell us, you know. Some people who were in our small group at our church 
Yes, we still want you to be in, in the group with us, and, and we want to support you, and we want to walk through this with you. And, and I'm just telling you, folks, prepare yourself for disappointment. Because you're going to find that some people who promise to be there will not be. And some people who are have hidden motives or ulterior agendas. And as time passes, grief perseveres. And you discover that most of these people who you thought were friends were mere acquaintances who were just passing through your life at a particular time. You're going to find out that relationships change. That all those couples who you did something with, no longer you're a couple. And now you're the fifth wheel. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been there. Promises will be made. Promises will be broken. People will promise you to do all kinds of things, and they may last for about two weeks, and after that, you probably will not hear from them again. One of the individuals, a man who was what I thought, I would have listed him on one of my top five friends. Since the day after Rayanne's funeral, not one time has he mentioned her name, has he asked me how I was doing, has he spoken of her, has he had any positive thing to say to me, to minister to me, has he asked me how I was doing. In those immediate days, he just dropped me as a friend. Completely dropped me as a friend. I would see him here and there. I was always courteous. You'd have been proud of me. I didn't tell him what I thought of him. But I don't think much of him as a friend. The letter G, we've been talking about grieving. Grieving is simply this ebb and flow It's the high tide and the low tide constantly coming in and going out. And the difficult thing, again, is that we can't predict what's going to happen in any given moment. It could well be that something that I have said this morning has triggered a thought or a memory, and it almost immediately brings back that sense of grief. I don't want to send you home today in a, in a state of, of despair. But, but grief is so filled with emotions that trying to rein in those emotions in the process of grief is just so unpredictable. And what I discovered and what again, I've learned by ministering to so many other people with grief, is a certain, um, a, a certain situation, a certain thought, a certain experience, a certain place can take us right back to feeling something and, and it sneaks up on us almost like, um, like someone who's concealed, almost like a, like a ninja, and it just attacks us. And all of a sudden, the grief is right there in front of us, and we didn't even see it coming. We feel like we've been ambushed. And those 
feelings are very, very powerful. And so this grieving that we're talking about here, I want you to understand that it is a process. It's not an event. That's why we never, ever, ever put a limit on how long a person will grieve. Because chances are you will grieve over certain things for the rest of your life. depending on the nature of that loss. But I promise you, people will try to put a timetable on when you should be over that. You should be done by that by now. Didn't that take place? Didn't your wife die over 10 years ago? Aren't you done grieving by now? The answer is no, and I'll never be done grieving. It is a process, not an event. And grieving is a necessary and a healthy pathway to healing. You, I I get most concerned by people who tell me how well they're doing so quickly after something has occurred that would cause grief. If they act like nothing has happened, they're probably in denial. You can't insulate yourself. You can't isolate yourself. Don't allow yourself to shut down. Don't allow yourself to shut people out. Grieving is normal. Grieving is natural. Grieving is what God knows, did, understands. There is nothing to be ashamed of in shedding a tear. And you don't have to shed a tear to have grief. I can tell you honestly, in the presence of my second wife, that there are times I still miss my first wife. I mean, Betsy and I have been married eight plus years. I was married to Rand for 29 plus years. Those years just didn't disappear when I remarried even though Betsy had been a close friend of our family, had had known my boys, uh, two of the three of them, um, since they were little. She's watched the third one grow up completely all 25 years. So she's been a part of our lives a long time. But she knows that there are times when I still experience grief. And fortunately... I have a wife who understands that to her credit and allows me to still grieve when I need to. The letter H stands for happiness. Thought I'd better put something in there to make you smile a little bit. (laughs) Happiness are generated by circumstances. Now, why do I throw this in here? You see... Yeah, the ABCs of grieving is, you know, you, you have to begin to take some steps to incorporate things back into your life which are going to bring moments of happiness which remind people of something that runs much deeper, and that's joy. 
right? You see, joy is what really is the deep river that flows in our soul. Happiness is the thing that's built around circumstances. Happiness are the, the fun things, the, the, the things that we do that make fun memories and crazy memories, and, 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 and that's good, and that's healthy. But real joy is really what we're striving for. But, you know, invite someone who's struggling and wrestling. Invite someone to be a part of your life, of your family, of your, your circle of relationships, and, and so that they can remember that they can still laugh, they can still enjoy life, and there will be some happy moments. The letter I. The letter I stands for insecurity. Insecurities are raised to the surface because our self-identity many times is rooted in something else or someone else. So the loss of a job means that we may lose our identity in the workplace. The loss of a relationship, the loss of a person changes us. And for many people, change is uncomfortable. Change makes people feel unsecure. Busyness consumes us, so we don't have to think about what are life's most important issues. Now, the inerrant danger here is to attach to things or people for the wrong reasons to find security. If I may say, and it's just my opinion, can't give you a chapter and verse on this, I think it's one of the reasons sometimes why particularly widowers will remarry very, very quickly. I mean, sometimes within a month or two after the loss of a spouse that they've been with for decades. And the rest of the family is just really blown away by that. Um, this is a wrestling match. You say, well, is that wrong? Is that, is that sin? No, I, I can't take you to a, a chapter and verse in the Bible that, that would suggest even for a moment that that's sin. All I'm saying is let's just make sure that we're asking the right questions of ourselves and that we're not escaping anything. We're not escaping this sense of insecurity. Because uh, for me personally, I discovered in the grieving process that one of the things that I had to adjust to were new names, new roles, new categories. Uh, For example, I acquired, I had never been a widower before. Now people introduced me as a widower. I used to just be their friend. Okay? Now I'm introduced as a widower. And by the way, he's single. Okay? It had been a long time since I was introduced as someone who was single. And by the way, he's a single parent. Okay? That really sweetens the package, doesn't it? Okay? I had all these new names. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with these new names, but I realized that I was being categorized. People were putting me in the, the pigeonhole categories, and we do this all the time. 
Oh, you remember so-and-so, she's the widow who lives down the street, or so-and-so picks her up and brings her to church. Or, you know, she's that single mom. Treating people like that feeds insecurity. It does not help a person create a healthy new self-identity. Journey is the word for J. You are journeying into the deep. I've already said that the destination is not clear. As in any journey that you take, you go uphill, you go downhill, you take twists, you take turns. There are times you're unsure. There are times that you are clear. But a lot of the terrain that you're in is unfamiliar. There are no road maps. There are no road signs. There's no GPS except for the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Those are reliable for the journey. And those are the things that we need to attach our minds and our hearts to. See, a lot of our previous points of reference have been moved or removed. So we're not really quite sure where we are on the journey. Uh, if any of you have studied the subject of grief, um, uh, Elizabeth uh, Kubler-Ross may be a familiar name to you, not a believer. Um, been very interesting. A lot of her stages of grief were uh, kind of the Bible for a lot of people, Christian and non, uh, for many, many years until um, until it became clear that she had come up with these stages uh, based on the population of people that she was ministering to. Anyone know where her primary ministry was? To people who were unstable. So she wrote uh, a lot of books and, uh, in, in my opinion, probably did a lot of damage because uh, she tried to create a measuring rod to determine where is a person in their grief journey. And what I'm suggesting to you is Um, you may not know where you are in the grief journey. You just may know that you're on the journey. And then sometimes you're having good days. Sometimes you're having bad days. That sounds a lot like a life, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that pretty much true for all of us? Regardless of our profession or our stage in life? How about knowledge? Um, For the letter K. Knowledge, um, I simply want to exhort you here to read. Read not only the Word of God, read that first. But again, I've included a a selected bibliography in the back of that packet for you of some books that I found very, very helpful. Now, if you want to just turn to that for a second, I think that might be the, uh, the very last page. If I were, if I were to give two books, okay, These are the two selections that I would make, okay? I'm just talking about me personally. These are the two books that I have made. If someone is dealing with the loss of a loved one through death, I would give them Mitch's book, Mitch and Brookside's book, Grieving the Loss of Someone You Love. That was a book that I probably reread 10 times. 
If it's someone who's going through any kind of suffering, grief, loss in general, I would give them Larry Crabb's book, Shattered Dreams. Those two are at the top of my list. The others are good. Uh, Alan Wolfelt's book, while very good at the very bottom, uh, he's not a believer as far as I know. Um, most of the others um, are. In fact, I think all of the others are. Okay? So you can take that for whatever it's worth. I found it to be very, very helpful. I read books. Um, I, I like to read. And so I was reading books voraciously uh, on the subject of, of grieving, death, loss. And I'll tell you what I experienced. It may not be true for you. I could tell a chapter into a book if the person was writing out of experience or if they were writing out of interest on the topic. Okay? Which books do you think I've finished reading? I wanted to read from someone who knew what in the world they were talking about. I wanted to read not just with an intellectual basis. I wanted to read someone who had experienced grief themselves of some sort. And so the others, I would simply put on the shelf or put in my book pile to give away to someone who wanted to increase their intellect. Um, I, I'm sorry, Pastor Eric. Um, <clears throat> this is why I only get invited once to lots of places. I, tell, I, told, I forewarned you. You see, hearing the stories of other people uh, is, is of great value to me. And I think that's something that you have, you have to offer to others because you can tell your story and your story of how God met you or what you are going through helps people to know how to pray for you. And I would much rather listen to that. So I interviewed people. I tried going to some support groups. I've got to be honest with you. Um, the support groups that I went to at that time were not Christian, and I, I it, it just didn't work for me. Uh, they were sponsored uh, by hospice, and it was true that we all shared something in common, but we were just coming at just a whole lot of different ways of trying to deal with grief, and I needed to be with other people. So I just sought out individuals who I knew and trusted who had uh, walked the same journey that I did. And those are the people that I seek out today. I studied related topics in Scripture. Um, uh, in particular, uh, two studies that I did that uh, really ministered to me. Number one, I did a study on the book of Ruth, which is what um, Larry Crabb's book um, is kind of loosely based on. It's a study of the book of Ruth. I'm going to be preaching from Ruth tomorrow morning um, because there are times when you and God are not on talking terms. And that's the, the, the plight that Naomi found herself in. And um, I, I would encourage anyone to read and to study the book of Ruth. I also did a study on heaven. I figured if that's where my wife is living, I'd like to know what in the world she's doing while I'm wrestling with things down here. What in the world is she doing up there? You know, it's funny, you know, how much we talk about heaven, but we know so little about it. And I thought, I... You know, 
And I, I've got to admit to you, I was, I was a little bothered that there were not as many specific things uh, that really clarified for me what all's going on up there. Every now and then they're throwing a party when someone gets saved. I know that. But, um, you know, there are an awful lot of misconceptions. There are an awful lot of things that we say to comfort people. And we say they're from the Bible. I couldn't find them. I couldn't find them. So you can help me there. Laughter is the letter L. Boy, and when I say laughter, I'm talking about laughing at yourself. Uh, I, I, sometimes I would just, now I, I have, I think, um, a, a pretty good sense of humor. Uh, I like to laugh. I love to have fun. And sometimes I would just laugh out loud at some of the stupid things that I did. And yeah, I was amazed, though, at how that helped me through the grieving process. Uh, for example, one time I was watering the plants. I was trying to keep my wife loved plants, and there were a bunch of them in the house. And, of course, I was doing my best to try to keep them alive. One time I watered a plant three times before I realized it was a silk plant. <laughs> and when I realized it was a silk plant, I realized this is the reason why I can't kill it. You know, um, um, it was very clean, you know, it was very clean, but I learned that you have to dust them, not water them. Uh, I also discovered, because I had become a chef, I discovered that there was a difference between baking soda and baking powder. And ladies, perhaps uh, you already knew that. Um, uh, I realized that when a recipe calls for oil, uh, it, they should identify if it means Pennzoil or Quaker State because they need to be a little more specific on those recipes. I had no idea how many different kinds of oils there were. And, uh, and so I, I, um, I laughed at myself on, on that, and I came to the conclusion that not only was Solomon the wisest man, but Betty Crocker was the wisest woman. Um, I scared myself one time. Literally, I was speaking, of all places, at a conference in Venezuela. It was the very same summer that my wife died. She died in May, and this was, I believe it was a July conference. And I was speaking at this conference, and I was struggling, and, and the, uh, the mission had contacted me and said, you don't have to come. And I said, you know, the Lord knew, the Lord knew that my wife was going to die. He knew this. I have great confidence in the sovereignty of God. I said, he must want me to be there for a reason. And I said, if you still want me to come, I'm, I'm willing to come. And, uh, and, uh, b- but one of the things that just scared me during that time is I found myself, we were sitting around in different groups of talking, and I, all of a sudden it dawned on me that I was sitting with an entire table full of women who were swapping recipes. And I was writing down these recipes as quickly as I could, and all the other guys were sitting over there talking about, you know, the manly stuff and sports and stuff. And I'm thinking, what, you know, what a shift. You know, I had never even looked at a recipe barely before in my life. Okay. And I humored my wife during the last year of, of her life after she was diagnosed. She was a great help to me because our house was laid out in that there was a sofa in kind of an upper sitting room and it was right next to the kitchen. And so she would lie on the sofa and she would tell me what to do to cook the meals. And so I was actually cooking the meals, but I was learning better how to cook. 
And so that was a great gift, and there were lots of funny moments during that time as well. But here I am in a foreign country, no less, and I'm sitting around swapping recipes with a bunch of women. And, uh, and that, that was just a real wake-up call for me that I needed to get um, my life back in balance. I'll leave it at that, okay? Let's go with the letter M, memories, memories. Uh, relationships um, uh, may change. Uh, relationships may die. Memories do not. Now, some of your memories may fade away, but a lot of your memories are going to remain very vivid. Very, very vivid. Uh, You know, we have things, and we all do. We all have photos. We all have mementos, souvenirs, clothing, jewelry. Odors sometimes can trigger memories. Um, I'll, I'll share this with you. I, I'm trying to be very open and transparent with you today. I, I missed, you know, Rayanne always wore a particular kind of perfume. And I, and I missed smelling that. And so sometimes I would spray that on the pillow of my bed just so I could remember what that smelled like. Sometimes memories are very powerful in understanding the process of grieving and loss. You see, healing doesn't erase memories. But listen carefully. Living builds new memories. You see, the goal is not to forget. The goal is to continue to build new memories and add new memories that we can draw upon. That's part of the healing process. And so there's nothing wrong with embracing how a person impacts your life. But, but, but don't fall into the trap of embellishing a story to make that person larger than life or immortalizing them and putting them on the pedestal of being perfect. My first wife wasn't perfect any more than I was perfect. And and we want to be careful that the memories don't take on a life of their own. Because just as in any relationship, we have some really, really good memories. We also have some probably not so good memories of tough times that we battled through and worked through. And we're not fun. And those can be, I'm not just talking about husbands and wives here. I'm talking about with friendships and relationships that are of worth and meaning to us. The letter N talks about needs. You're not sure what you need, and that's okay. Sometimes people will ask you what you need, and you won't even know how to answer the question. And, and so I would challenge you, as someone who wants to minister to other people, you can anticipate needs. If you know that, that someone, for example, I'll use something very obvious. If you know, for example, that, that someone is elderly and it's fall and they need to have their gutters cleaned, okay, don't wait for them to ask. Just say, hey, you know, a couple of us are coming over on Saturday. Make a list of some repairs that you like us to do. We want to clean the gutters and, and uh, rake up your leaves and, and bag them up and, you know, very simple things like that. You can anticipate those needs because sometimes people 
either will hesitate to make their needs known or they don't even think about what those needs are that needs that need to be cared for. I'll just add one other thing to that before we move to the next letter. See, sometimes it's our pride that's really the issue here. Sometimes our pride gets in the way of asking for help. And that's something that, again, that's, that I'm not pointing a finger. I'm just saying let's make sure that we are not prideful people which stops us from asking for help that we need. I realized after my wife died that there were some things that I needed some help on. And I had to ask for that help. The letter O stands for orientation. Um, We talked a little bit about some of that, new labels, new stereotypes, new feelings, new experiences. I told you that some of these bleed into each other and and overlap. Um, You know, I want you to think of this new orientation as imagine yourself as a missionary or if you've been on a missions trip. When you go to a foreign country, there are two things that you need to learn. You need, if you want to be effective, you have to learn the language and you have to learn the culture. Okay, now you're in a foreign country. If you're a person who's experiencing grieving and loss, suffering, uh, you need a new orientation because it's almost like you have moved into a new land. Okay, so we're asking ourselves, what is appropriate? What is necessary? When is it time to make changes? When is it okay to clean out the closet? When is it okay to discard certain items? When is it okay to rearrange the furniture? When is it okay? I know some individuals that with the death of a person in their family, they close the door and they don't even go back in that room. Now, I have my own feelings about that. I don't think that's a healthy way to deal with grief. That's just my opinion. But there is an orientation or, dare I say, a reorientation that has to take place to life in general. P is purpose. Purpose. Life is not measured. Life is not measured by the length of it, but by its depth as well. What is the purpose of our lives. Now we know the theological answer to that. The chief end of man is to glorify God. We we know that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we're to do it to glorify God. But life itself is not measured by how long we live. Because some people have simply lived a year of life and then they have done 40 laps in the wilderness around that year. And it's reflected in their spiritual growth. You know, they're, they're still babies in Christ after they've been a believer for 40 years. I'm, I'm speaking allegorically here, so or metaphorically. Um, but, but purpose goes deep. But why did God create me with with these individual things that he has brought me through. Uh, personally, um, I, some of you may or may not like uh, Rick Warren's writings. 
uh, one of the greatest things that uh, I think that he wrote that has helped me, and then uh, another man on his uh, staff kind of fleshed this out in another book, but he uses something called a shape inventory. And I use it, I, I still use it with students. And it's, and it's a matter of understanding our S, spiritual gifts, H, our heart or our passion, A, are, are the natural abilities that God has given us. Some people are good at music, people are good at athletics, people are good at, at uh, administration, at, at, at finances, at, you know, and we go on and on. The letter P is our personality. All of us are created with different personalities. And the letter E are experiences. Shape. Spiritual gifts, our heart or passion. Abilities, which are natural. P is personality. E are experiences. Now, what we want to do with our lives is we want to make sure that we are a good fit. We want to make sure that we are a good fit for our shape, that what we're doing with our life is a good fit for our shape. Nailing this down and understanding purpose is both a theological and a very practical matter. And so sometimes, again, when a person is kind of lost in in that fog, in that mist, they're really trying to redefine what is their, their purpose in life, which leads us to the next letter, which are the questions that, that follow as a result of it. And a, and a lot of people have these kinds of questions. Uh, why is the biggest one. Why? why? And, and right under that one and say, well, why not? Why why not? What would exempt me from this kind of experience or this kind of suffering or grieving? Who am I? Where am I going? What is my purpose? Then we get down to a real personal level and we, we ask ourselves, uh, will I ever love again? if it was a, a relationship that has been lost? Or will I turn it around? Will I ever be loved like that again? Another question, now what? What's my next step? Life is filled with a lot of questions. The letter R stands for rest. Rest. There is a physical side of grief that also has to be monitored. Physical implications. It is very, very common, very, very common for someone who's going through grief to feel fatigued, just tired, worn out physically, exhausted. For them to feel depressed, to have low energy level, to uh, a loss of appetite or weight loss. Those are very physical things that, that may happen. And what the body needs, we're told by, by medical people, is the body needs rest. 
The different kinds of trauma uh, are, are telling the body, you need to get the rest that you need. And your soul needs rest also. So do whatever it is that you need to, to rest, to rejuvenate. Exercise, sometimes we're told, is a great way to uh, not just help the body rest, but to uh, help the body to replenish energy, which sounds like an oxymoron, but, uh, you know, how do you get rest through exercise? Well, it, it helps the body uh, to refuel itself and to regain energy. The letter S, I'm going to move quickly through the last few here. The letter S is support. And this is the people factor. I know that I mentioned friends earlier, um, but this time I want to re-mention it, but in a little bit different light. I'm suggesting here that you need to be around people who truly understand you love you unconditionally and show affection to you. I'm not going to go into that in detail. I will this afternoon. This kind of support group of people around you can anticipate what you need. They are people who are going to have gifts of mercy, of helps, They're going to be people who are compassionate and show how much they truly care about you. And I I just want to suggest to you that in terms of offering support to people, common sense will take you a long way. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't need a master's degree in counseling to figure out what people need and how you can support them in real simple, practical ways. The letter T is truth. It's related, of course, to the Bible that we talked about earlier. I I guess one of the main things that I want to suggest here under this truth principle is that, you know, God will never let me down. You know, we, we talk about that. I believe that. But, you know, there's another side of that, too. And the other side of that is that God will never let you down, but neither will he let you off the hook. He is not going to allow you to be reckless and irresponsible. So you are still accountable to God. You you don't get a a get-out-of-grief-free card. You're still held accountable and and I'm, I'll go back to the illustration that I gave of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus made the ask. He asked the question, Lord, if there's any other way possible, let this cup pass right. But Jesus was not left off the hook because the only way in God's eternal plan for the penalty of sin to be paid for was for Jesus to face the cross. And that meant being forsaken by the Father. So we need to hang our hats on that truth. Letter U is uncertainty. Uncertainty, 
this relates to some of the others we've already mentioned. That's why I can move quickly through these. Confidence has been assaulted when this new life is thrust on you. We're uncertain. We're not sure who to believe, who to trust. That's why we need to go back to that support team of people. If people are reaching out to you and they're people that you know and you trust, um, go to them when you're uncertain about decision-making. Values is the letter for V, the word for the letter V. Things that you value in life are, is going to change. I just want to mention two of them, the two biggest ones for me. My perspective on time changed in a major way as a result of the death of my wife and then as a result of the stroke. I have a very, very different outlook on time, how I spend my time, what I invest my time in. Now, I'll tell you what, I have a very low tolerance for people who waste my time. And I don't mind people telling them, you're wasting my time. Okay? I don't serve on committees because most committees are a waste of my time. Why? Because after everything is said and done, there's always a lot more said than done. And so don't ask me to be on a committee because I can tell you in one meeting what you need to do. And after that, we either go do it or I'm off the committee. I don't get asked to be on a lot of committees anymore either, which is a good thing from my perspective. Now, you see, you know why I feel so strongly about that? You see, folks, time is a non-renewable resource. If I'm low on money, I can get another part-time job. I don't care what. I can find a job doing something to earn a little extra. When I use my time, it's done. There's nothing I can do to come back and get more time. So I want to be darn clear on how I spend my time and who gets my time because it's an investment. I tell the students all the time, you're looking at a dead man walking. I realize that I'm coming into a chapter of my life. I don't know, I don't know what my last day is. Neither do you. Every single one of us need to live our lives as if today is the last day that we will have life. In the words of that great theologian, Ray Charles, <laughs> he said you need to live every day as if it's the last day of your life because one day it's going to be true. The other thing that changed quite a bit for me was relationships. I made very specific changes in where I wanted to invest my time in people. Folks, I know it's a cliche. You've heard it before. Every day is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Cash it in. Enjoy it for all God wants it to be. I used to make the statement quite a bit until my physical therapist made me change it. Um, when I went to be evaluated after I had the stroke, I walked very slowly. I, I started walking very slow, didn't I, Bets? And the physical therapist said to me, she said, 
And I did this intentionally because I wanted to walk slower through life because I wanted to make sure that I was not taking things for granted. And the therapist said to me, she said, is that a little faster you can walk? Now, I know what she wanted. She wanted me to walk faster to regain balance and stamina and and all those kinds of things. But, you know, to this day, I really do walk slower through life so that there are things that I'm not missing. I don't want to miss. I can't miss them. Wait is the the next one. Wait upon the Lord. You know uh, why. You're in life's waiting room right now, and you need to wait until God gives you clear direction. Impatience, uh, man, I don't know how you are but it just bubbles up. It gushes out of me sometimes. Uh, We want answers. We want them now. We live in an instantaneous society where we can have instant gratification. You on your iPhone right from where you are right now, you can get news from around the world of anything that's happening in any place at any time instantly. God doesn't work that way. And he says, wait. That goes against our grain because we can have everything else when we want it. Experiences is the best I could come up with for the letter X. They're new. They're unique. Experiences in the present, experiences in the future are going to be transformed. And the experiences that I go through as a result of grief and suffering and loss, they are going to change me from the inside out. They're going to change me from the core of my being. I see things differently, and I don't take things for granted like I used to. The letter Y is yield. And so I have to say what Jesus said, not my will, but your will. I have come much more quickly to the point of surrender. And I figured if Jesus had to battle through that, then I want to learn a lesson from him and say the same thing that he did. Not my will be done, but his will be done. And that's the process of yielding. And lastly, the letter Z is, stands for zigzag because there are no straight lines. There are no straight lines to get from here to there. There are lots of new angles. There are lots of sharp turns. There are lots of, uh, of alterations. I expect twists and turns. I expect directions to change. Um, But I also expect that God will return to me this zest for life, this abundant life that he talks about. I don't think it has to stop as a result of grief, loss, and suffering. I'm going to call Pastor Adam to come up. He's going to share a couple of words of instruction with us as we wrap up.